Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Probably should have known better and uh, our new episode on Chasing Amy. Uh, so if you're familiar with this movie, uh, you can probably already guess this episode is going to get pretty blue pretty fast. Um, not really saying that as like a, a content warning or anything. It's more because Nadia and I know that our moms both listen to this show and, uh, you know, we just want to say, hi moms, uh, we love you. I'm very sorry for the number of times I'm going to say the word teeth in this episode, and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Spot a long face, Horace. I'm just having a little girl trouble. Pressing charges? I get that a lot. Holden McNeil was set in his ways. The way he worked. The way he lived. And the way he thought love should be. But then, she showed up. Let me guess. You like her. This girl loves me. There's something you should know. She got a boyfriend. Well, no. Then what's to know, my friend? And this girl's got a secret that's going to drive him crazy. Well, but who better to talk about, I think, female sexuality and kind of evolving social mores around queerness than Kevin Smith? Kevin Smith Smith himself. The, the, I mean, you're familiar with the infamous um, tweet he made about his wife, right? No. It's like 10 years ago. It's so so good. Because it's like, Twitter's been around that long. At its heart, I'm pulling it up because I want to make sure I get the wording exactly right. I'm kind of freaking um, out that Twitter has been a- around for a decade. Oh, Twitter's been around for like 15 years now. It's oh nuts. Oh, God. Um, I'm disgusted. <laughs> but it is, um, at its heart, it's very sweet, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it is, I'm so excited that I get to share this with you that you don't know it. Mm-hmm. But it is truly one of the worst tweets of all time. And he tweeted this it was back in 2009. Uh, and he tweeted it uh, on the tenth, his tenth wedding anniversary, um, with his wife. Okay. Uh, and he said, ten years in, and we bone like we're cheating on each other with each other. A decade plus, and her clit slash brown slash taint area still pones my dick. All right. Well, I quit the podcast. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to Probably Should Have Known Better, celebrating comedy that has aged very poorly. Uh, I'm Tony Ginocchio, joined as always by the bungee cord, making me feel secure as I plunge headfirst into the yawning abyss of 2020. It's Nadia Vasquez. Oh my god, that's such a sweet one! Thank you, I was thinking of that, uh, that was like at dinner, I thought that one up. Oh. And my wife, my wife is like, did you hear what I just said? Are you paying attention? And I'm like, no, no, I gotta come up with an intro for Nadia. <laughs> I generally come up with your intros, like, on the spot, so <laughs> I appreciate the total effort. It was beautiful. I don't think I deserve it, but thank you. 
No, you you always deserve it. Uh, how how are how are you doing, Nadia? I know you know we we had a, a very bumpy week. Um, I am glad that I get to to come here at the end of it and talk about stupid uh, pop culture shit. I've needed stupid pop culture shit, so I I feel the same way. It's been it's been rough. I live in a pretty popular area in Los Angeles where. The National Guard just kind of hangs out in the area. Uh, yeah, apparently. Yeah, so there have been a lot of protests for Black Lives Matter and just fucking defunding the police because fuck yeah. the police. Um, the it's we're on the tail end of the the kind of more uh, heated. Yeah, a lot of stuff. A lot of cities curfews are being lifted as of today. It's June seventh right now. Curfews are being lifted. National Guard, it, it, you know, is, is kind of pulling back i know in dc and, and in illinois where i live kind of starting to de-escalate a little bit although the protests are certainly still continuing which is great and i yes i can't reiterate enough how much i don't trust the police and the national guard who are in the area because like i said i live in a pretty uh dense neighborhood and it's where a lot of the protests are taking place so the national guard is just kind of around and i went to go pick up lunch yesterday at a food truck that is so delicious as vegan black owned called lettuce feast and nice. uh, it's a pun i get it it's so good it they have like a fake fried chicken sandwich it, i miss chick-fil-a even though they're bigots and awful but oh <laughs> the food was so good and but this is the closest i can get to it so i thought i'm gonna take a walk i'm gonna go down to the food truck uh and there were just national guard officer people standing on the corner with their guns pointed down, but they still had them, and they looked—they like, didn't look like those rubber bullet guns that the police had. They looked like the yeah. real, which are also, shit. which are also not great, by the way. No, <laughs> like... no, none of it was great. This whole week yeah. has been awful. It's just, uh, I ha- I got to see people running away from tear gas from my window. Oh, God. It was like uh, I was watching TV through my front window. It was pretty terrifying. And uh, more power to the protesters who were going, who were super brave. Um, absolutely yeah and who put up with so much from so much of the fucking police state it was really scary but i'm fine everything's fine uh the national guard is still around but they're chill it's so weird it's so so surreal to just be like i'm gonna go pick up a sandwich and see like a military kind of looking guy chilling on the corner (laughs) yes if you are protesting god bless you uh if you cannot protest pay money to bail people out uh, give to other uh, related causes like that um but i am glad that you are safe thank you nadia and um and yeah i hope you stay safe thank you i do too i hope that the police is defunded and we're just done with this nightmare that we have been living but in that would honestly rule well i think today um, the the minneapolis city council yes! voted to disband the to defund their police department which is such a huge win I mean, it will be, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how, how the ripple effect kind of continues to, uh, you know, what other cities do. Um, there's a big um, movement in Chicago and has been for, for several years to get um, civilian oversight of the police department Fuck yeah. uh, more formalized, which is great. And so there, there's 50 seats on the city council. Um, so we need 26 votes to get it through. We have 19 right now. Amazing. Um, so we got seven to go, uh, and we, you know, hopefully, 
hopefully the continued direct action you know from from the people in the city absolutely uh pressure seven more folks um to flip their votes over so uh, you know, we'll we'll see where that all goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if anybody, yeah. you know, wherever you are listening, if you're in America, I know we have some overseas listeners, which makes me really happy. Hello, we are American and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those of you who are in other cities besides Los Angeles and Chicago, like take a look at your city councils. It's not like Pawnee City Council where there's just like six white guys and they're all very weird in their own way. You have a lot of different weirdos in their own way but a lot of them are racists so yes you know check out who they are vote them out um also there are we skipped last week we didn't have a new episode of probably should us so uh in lieu of that we posted on our instagram uh various black hosted podcasts that you can check out i uh, put together a list based on interests so we have um you know sex and dating uh, just culture comedy there's also uh true crime and even a horror podcast so a lot of people love horror and they talk about uh horror movies i didn't listen because i got scared <laughs> and uh there are a lot about just like a book club kind of thing so i've been listening to a few of the book club ones i've been reading some really good books so check those out those are on our instagram at probably shoulda we also linked to the instagram on our twitter and our facebook Awesome. Um, so speaking of reading good books, um, you know, I, I, I like to ask what what pop culture is getting you through quarantine and also now um, rebellion against police violence. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, and and I, if I can just offer uh, my suggestion first, Please. because um, because it is a book and and because we're going to be talking about sexual fluidity and being horny uh, <laughs> go in, on in, go in on this please episode. um so there's a there's a i was just reading a ya novel uh dystopian novel came out a few years ago that uh that i liked very much um and so it's called uh, grasshopper jungle by andrew smith and uh the protagonist is a teenage boy who is realizing that he is bisexual. Hell yeah. And uh, polyamorous. Oh! So he has a girlfriend, he has a gay best friend, and he's starting to realize that he is attracted to both of them. Um, And then this is complicated further by the fact that the world is being invaded by uh, deadly praying mantis-type aliens. Oh my god, I'm so Um, happy! So I love dystopian young adult fiction. It's the best. Yeah, very weird, but very good. I think a good... It, it's pretty horny. It's probably the <laughs> second horniest YA book I've read. Um, but what was it the handles, first? Uh, Daniel Handler, uh, Watch Your Mouth. Oh, I love uh, Daniel just, Handler so much. Yeah, but Watch Your Mouth is real weird. Okay, I haven't that read one's, that yet. That one's too horny, okay, I would say. that's fair. Grasshopper Jungle, right amount of horny. Handles horniness correctly when you're 16 years old because when you get horny and you're 16 your main thought is like ah shit i don't want to be horny right now (laughs) yeah um so that that would be uh, my recommendation for the week that's awesome uh as far as where i'm at uh i've been listening to a lot of just like old school pop punk like no effects and stuff just Mm because i really i'm in that mindset but there is this band i just bought a bunch of their merch uh i got into them about last year they're called the bomb pops they're here in southern california it's two women guitar players and singers and they had a new album come out that's called death in venice beach and it's so good 
It is so what? good. I haven't liked a new pop punk band in a while. They've been around for a long time, but I'm just late to the game. But the other thing that has been entertaining me is my neighbors have been fighting a lot. <laughs> and they're very loud. And uh, it's been nice. I've been able to just kind of sit in my bathroom because their kitchen is connected to where my bathroom wall is. And I can just sit in my bathtub or on my toilet and just listen. And, you know, I take sides sometimes. <laughs> and generally, I think that they should break up, but I can't tell them that because then no. they would know that I listen. But, you know, the fights range from, you know, I didn't like the white rice to, you know, him saying, I'll take the L. I'll take the L. I just don't want to fight anymore. And <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty entertaining, but I just that's like, feel bad. That's like my main argument technique. I'll just <laughs> take just, the L. It's just admitting that I lost right away. <laughs> yeah, that has been pretty consistent over the last few weeks. So, you know. It feels like my own personal reality show, but I can't see it. I can only right. hear it. It's pretty great. It's like a radio show. Well, it is Pride Month. Happy Pride! Happy Pride. We're here. Um, We're queer. We want to get married on the ocean. Yeah. So uh, so we picked, a, I think, a real banger for this episode. Hell yeah. Um for pride month uh one that i have wanted to do for a long time and and look i'm not an expert on um the pride movement on queer liberation on anything like that but i know i know a couple things uh so nadia you can you can tell me if i'm if i'm like fucking anything up here but i know that (laughs) the history of pride includes demonstrations against police violence hell yeah i know that it was led and started by people of color trans women i know that it also had a president who was a senile old man that didn't do enough to prevent the spread of a deadly disease history repeats itself and i know that pride ended in 1997 when they achieved all of their goals (laughs) because kevin smith (laughs) released chasing amy (laughs) yes and also because kevin klein was in yes in starting and out. in and out and because ellen degeneres <laughs> came out it all ended we, we 90, peaked. 97 big year for queer pop culture <laughs> as it turns it. out yeah i when i was doing the former current event research i was like i'm just gonna use the same stuff i use for these two <laughs> movies <laughs> it's uh it's pretty wild i gotta say uh 1997 was yes it was the year of in and out it was the year ellen came out uh, if you want more information on that, check out our other episode for In and Out because I went into really, really, really deep detail on queer. Culture. It's a good episode, it's, guys, it's a and great a, good, a good movie generally. We loved it. Of most of the movies we did not like, that one was one we did. <laughs> uh, but I did want to just throw in some facts about this year that I did not cover last time. Most made me sad. One fact was the average rent that year was $576. You're right. That is sad. <laughs> yeah, it made me sad. And the average cost of a new home was around $120,000. So, you know, we've come a long way. You know, even though Pride ended then, <laughs> just a lot of sadness continued. Uh, yes, that is the, this also the year Princess Diana died. Notorious B.I.G. Oh. died. A lot of people dying. Uh, El Nino was hitting the U.S. pretty hard at that time. Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear off. 
Oh, that was 97. Okay. Yeah, it's not queer culture, but it's definitely culture of some kind. <laughs> uh, you know what? Also, this year was the year that the scientists in Scotland revealed the first successful cloning of an adult mammal. Uh, 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 Dolly the sheep, Dolly right? the sheep, and we never heard from her again. Where'd she go? <laughs> I thought about it, and I don't remember anything else after that. We've never heard from her again. Like, she's supposed to be giving monthly statements. <laughs> Where are her tweets? <laughs> it's just sort of going bah! <laughs> using talk to text <laughs> i'm very disappointed yeah i mean 97 you know check out our in and out episode for really uh in-depth history on queer culture at the time but in this case i didn't want to go too far into the details and minutia of queer culture because kevin smith really <laughs> really just nails he it. nailed it as well, a straight white dude he and that's it. what's that's what's so interesting is you know we had previously watched In and Out same year which was basically a very sweet wholesome like rom com PG thirteen rom com beautiful accepting lovely John right. Cusack it, it, was ver- in it right very very positive uh, message it was nominated <laughs> Joan Cusack was nominated for an Oscar for her performance in it um, well and deserved. it was. It was it was very sweet. Um, and then we have this movie, Chasing Amy, which definitely, like, has its merits. Like, yeah. there's definitely parts of this film that work really well, um, but is a completely different film in terms of genre. This is pure Kevin Smith, R-rated, incredibly filthy dialogue, um, but also, like, it, it, it just, this is the third, I think the third Kevin Smith film in his kind of connected universe after clerks and mall rats. And it's always like kind of these long winding back and forth dialogues on his favorite topics, which is like star Wars, Catholicism, <laughs> weed, hockey, uh, comic books. Like it, like it just it checks every single box. Um, if you haven't seen the film, it is streaming on Netflix, but um, the, the plot is basically Ben Affleck who is in, every kevin smith film Mm -hmm. uh plays holden who is an independent comic book artist uh partnered with um banky who is played by jason lee who is in every kevin smith film um he uh meets a girl named Alyssa, played by joey lauren adams at a con and uh they uh hit it off uh, and he falls for her pretty quickly, but it turns out she is actually a gay woman. Uh, or so it seems. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, he, uh, you know, he actually manages to build a, a really nice uh, friendship with her. Um, over the first hour of the film, this actually is a really, I think, smart, um, really progressive in in a sense comedy about two people who um have different sexual orientations but who become really good friends and 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 have something really beautiful and the film kind of derails uh (laughs) about an hour in when ben affleck confesses that he's in love with Alyssa, and Alyssa decides she's not gay anymore uh the film derails several times after that (laughs) um uh, for for a lot of different um weird reasons uh basically what happens in the second half of the film is even though they 
uh, are now in love and are in a couple. Ben Affleck learns about uh, Alyssa's sexual history, which is, uh, I think, more sordid than he had expected. Um, he freaks out, uh, and basically they end up breaking up. Um, they reunite at the end of the film, and we see that they're kind of cool with each other. Ben Affleck has channeled it into his art. Um, but other than that, it's a film that uh, at some points is a really good film, at some points is infuriating, <laughs> and if one or two scenes had gone a different way, this could have been the worst movie about gay people ever made. <laughs> yeah, I think it has its merits in some form or another, but... I I got mad at the end. I got yeah. I got mad a few times, but <laughs> there are there are several things that um will make you very mad when you watch this movie. You know, I um, I really want to say one thing is I try really hard not to be super pessimistic about certain movies that we go into watching um because I don't like to be cynical. I'm a very uh I'm going to say I'm a positive person. <laughs> more positive than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure I agree with that. But I I also, I don't like to yuck other people's yum. So if you like this movie, that's great. I would love to have a dialogue with you of why. <laughs> but but my problem is just, the obviously it's a very dated movie, but my problem just was rooted in the very uh, impassioned point of view that Kevin Smith had writing on behalf of a queer woman. Yes. It, the, that was a little like awkward and off for me. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the process was for him writing this movie. I don't know if he had like a lesbian friend or some sort of queer influence in his life. But, you know, I don't know if this was his story to tell uh, because they do go, you know, when you shift into point of view, um, like I feel like this movie, the the reason why it derailed is the shift in point of view uh, with her, with all of her mm -hmm. monologues, but if they had kind of kept more on the Holden side of it, and, you know, I guess I'm not asking her to be a less three-dimensional character, but I think it would have been great to have more than one female voice in the movie to compare to hers, perhaps, <laughs> would be, it would have been more effective in the, the shift there. Because I I think it was very presumptuous of Kevin Smith to be like, no, I got it figured out. And I got she, it figured. It's, uh, it's 1997. Have... Very few people at all are telling these stories, but I think I got I it. I got first. it. And I'm going to write a page and a half of a monologue for Alyssa that's going to explain everything. <laughs> that was where my problem was. I, I also, okay, I also wanted to tell you that I made a list of all of the slurs. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of slurs in this film. There's a lot of queer slurs. Um, there, there's there's a lot of lines of dialogue in this film that I will not be saying on this episode. Of the me podcast. either, but I will say that there there are 17 total slurs in the whole movie. Um, there are people of color though represented, which is something that I've been keeping track of for the pod. And actually, the character of Hooper X is like one of my favorite parts of the film. What a great character. But the, yeah. the cool part is, is that they did do a lot of representation of the counterculture of the comic book community of just lots of people of color in the audiences yeah. at the con. And I love that. Yeah. And so I do want to talk about, before we get into more of the detail on the film, I want to talk about Kevin Smith. Um, oh, you mean the voice of lesbians? The, the voice of lesbian culture, Kevin Smith. Thank you. Kevin Smith made this film in 97 in 94 he made clerks clerks is in the library of congress now 
It I is, love Clerks. There is a case to be made that it is the single most influential comedy of the past 30 years. What? Um, because Who said that? Clerks Did you is, say that? I said that. Wow. Um, Clerks is about two guys who don't want to do their job. They want to get high and talk about Star Wars. And that is basically 80% of what comedy is now. <laughs> That's true. Um, there was a, I think it was Chuck Klosterman who wrote this, but he was like, there used to be a time in history where if you said Star Wars was your favorite movie, that made you an interesting person. And uh, that time doesn't exist anymore. No, no. If anything, it makes me shut off my computer. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Kevin Smith, you know, wrote, you know, the, the first 20 minutes of this film is set at a comic book convention. In 1997, that that would have been that would have been like going on a safari for viewing audiences. <laughs> like, it just was this. You know, it, he was um, highlighting this part of pop culture that had not yet gained mainstream acceptance. Because it wasn't just a comic book convention; it was an alternative comic convention. Mm-hmm. Um, Banky and Holden are the artists who draw Blunt Man and Chronic, which is the the fake superhero series based on Jay and Silent Bob. Um, this, uh, you know, Clerks was, you know, a huge influence. It was originally rated NC-17 only for language. Um, and then they, appe- they, the film was distributed by Harvey Weinstein and their lawsuit against the MPAA was represented by Alan Dershowitz. Oh, so two two real pieces of shit, shit. responsible for um, Kevin Smith's success. Um, but, you know, became this huge hit, this huge influence on uh, dialogue, on what pop culture would be considered, like, mainstream and cool to talk about. Chasing Amy was uh, a very successful film. It made $12 million domestically on a budget of 250000 No way! So, Good for him. Yeah, <laughs> enormous success for an indie film. Uh, it won two Independent Spirit Awards for Best Screenplay and then for Jason Lee for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Picture at the ISAs. Um, it was also, I always love bringing this up, nominated for two MTV Movie Awards uh, for Best Breakthrough Performance by Joey Lauren Adams and Best Kiss for the first lesbian kiss in the club when Ben Affleck realizes uh, that Alyssa is gay. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say the rain kiss. I was like, that is an ugly kiss. <laughs> no, the rain kiss is so fucking bad. That, that That's the first time I saw this film. It was a midnight movie in college. So, like, I was at the on-campus bar, like, watching this with my friend, who was a woman, and the kiss in the rain, she turned to me, she's like, this is so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Those are little moments that you'll never forget, ever. Yeah. Um, so, it... It was a pretty successful film, and like I said, if you just watch the first 60 minutes of this film and turn it off, you'd be like, that was pretty good, I think. I think I prefer Clerks, just based on Silent Bob's line, there's a million fine-looking women in the world, dude, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. (laughs) I love that line. It was also featured in an Atari song. Which is actually how I went to go watch the movie. Oh, okay. uh, that movie is amazing. I don't doubt that it was. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's yeah. obviously very influential. And so I came into this one with kind of high expectations, also low expectations for Ben Affleck because I personally <laughs> don't think he's that great of an actor. <laughs> I think he acts with his tiny teeth, and it really bothers me. 
He he does. He does act with his tiny teeth in this movie. He acts with his tiny teeth. But I hate to admit this. And because for the last, I don't know, maybe 15 years, my sister and I have been in almost, not in a silent battle, but a very understated battle that, because she's obsessed with him. And I think he's disgusting. His tiny teeth are too much. And, like, I always think, like, oh, you know, what if one day Ben Affleck listens to this podcast? I've been thinking about this for the week. Anyway. uh, Do you want me to send it to him? Yeah. I thought, what if Ben Affleck listened to this podcast and he heard me? I don't know why we're connected. I don't know. Maybe we could become friends in the future. Maybe he marries my sister because she loves him so much. I don't know. I mean, she says she loves the Boston Red Sox because of him. She doesn't know who's on the team. <laughs> she doesn't know when they play. She doesn't watch the games, but she has a Boston Red Sox shower curtain. Okay? So I don't know how he would listen to this. But if he heard me tell anyone that he has tiny teeth, I feel like I would hurt his feelings. <laughs> and I feel bad about it. But that's he does, what he, he does seem very fragile. He does. Most of the memes are of him looking terrible, <laughs> smoking a cigarette. The, it, it, the photo of him smoking the cigarette while pushing his COVID mask up over his like eyes is the funniest goddamn thing. I haven't seen that. Uh, it's so good. Just Google Ben have... Affleck mask okay. cigarette. It's so fucking funny. You know who he's dating, too. Like a fifteen-year-old girl, right? Well, yeah, Ana de Armas, but he, she's the she's the woman from Knives Out. She's she's oh. the. the oh. Lead. <laughs> I just saw the picture. The picture's so fucking funny. What is wrong with him? Oh, oh, it's too much. <laughs> yeah, he seems very fragile. Uh, I would say this movie uh, reinforces that. I agree, um, but I thought he was great. So, you know, he has tiny, he has tiny teeth. He is, you know, a lot, but he, he is good in this movie. I also have to say Kevin Smith and his dialogue, it's not fucking easy. That is not easy to act naturally, but Ben Affleck did it. Yeah. And I mean, it is extremely Kevin Smithy dialogue. Like opening scene is Ben Affleck signing comic books at this con and this guy walks up to him. He's like, I love Blunt Man and Chronic, man. They're like Bill and Ted meet Cheech and Chong. And Ben Affleck's like, oh, really? I always uh, saw them more as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern meet Vladimir and Astragon. Like, which is just the Kevin Smithiest fucking thing to say. It was so pretentious. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I, I also want to say that I, this is going to make me sound, there's no such thing as reverse racist against white people. <laughs> But this is going to make me sound bad because I always mix up Jason Lee, Ryan Reynolds, and that guy from Gilmore Girls. Uh, Milo Ventimiglia? Yeah. No. Um, the, the guy who plays Luke. Oh. Um, uh, uh, Pattinson? Patterson? Yes. I like always that. mix those three guys up. So in the, at this time, it's like, it's like that. Um, do you... Those don't strike me as guys who look alike. Well, Ryan Reynolds doesn't, but the Luke from Gilmore Girls and Jason Lee, they look alike. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah, but I always used to mix them up. So when I saw this g- Banky's face, I was like, I gotta look up which one this is. <laughs> I like, I can't tell the difference. It's like I have, but it face, is Jason... I have face blindness. I can't. <laughs> it is Jason Lee because it's a Kevin Smith movie. Right, exactly. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. It's my name is Earl Guy. Got it. Okay. Yes. Um, and also, j- just because the movie is made in 1997, Ben Affleck has a goatee. 
Um, every character in the movie is wearing a button-down shirt two sizes too big for them over a t-shirt that is two sizes too big for them. I miss this look. (laughs) I miss it. 15 minutes into the movie, the music cue is Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Oh, you were probably so stoked. I was. I thought you were going to say, like, three minutes into the first scene, Casey Affleck shows up, but... (laughs) Yes, also (laughs) And then I went, no! In my room by myself, out loud. <laughs> um, yeah. So the opening scene is at a con. There's a lot of lot of comic book jargon. Um, there's a lot of Jason Lee feeling wounded because he he does the inking and coloring, and all the guys are like want Ben Affleck's signature and like, oh, so basically you just trace what he already draws. <laughs> Um, and that, like, they hit that, I don't know, like, 12 times in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to really understand that Jason Lee is, uh, I guess, underappreciated. Yeah. Is that what that, um, what that was for? I don't know. I guess. Um, and then there was a panel discussion on minority voices in comics. This is, this is, Alyssa is one of the speakers at the panel. This is how they'll have their meet cute. Um, <laughs> the main speaker is Hooper X, who is a... He is a gay black man who, um, when he goes to these cons, <laughs> poses as a militant Afrocentrist. Um, he, the title of his comic is not something I can say on the air, um, <laughs> but his whole... Mo- and basically, Ben Affleck and Jason Lee are planted in the audience to ask him dumb questions um, so he can pretend to get infuriated, pull out a gun, and frighten everyone for publicity. Okay, I didn't know they were planted, so I was legitimately like, should I be offended right now? No, no, because, <laughs> no, like, um, so, of course, it's star- they're talking about Star Wars, and Hooper X is like, now, you got Darth Vader, darkest brother in the galaxy, Nubian God, and Jason, Ye- Jason Lee yells out, what's a Nubian? And... <laughs> Hooper X yells, shut the fuck up, Adam. Funniest line in the movie, maybe. It talks about black representation in Star Wars. Eventually a fight breaks out, and then, you know, everyone evacuates, and Hooper runs over to Jason Lee, and he's like, what's a Nubian? You almost made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, and then he said, shouldn't the cops be busting your head open right now? And he goes, wrong coast. Yeah, so this was also made in a time when the LAPD was considered the only police force that had problems with racism. <laughs> Yeah, it was before the internet, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, So they, you know, they have this kind of funny extended back and forth about Star Wars. Um, They have kind of this this funny scene where Hooper X, you know, pulls out a gun and terrorizes this white audience. Um, It was considered the peak of highbrow comedy when I was 19 years old uh, and watching this. Yeah, I know. I like how Um, you're like, this is the funniest line in the movie. I'm just like, okay. Okay, bud. I, I support you. But there's this hot woman on the panel named Alyssa. Hello. Oh, wow, wow. Oh, wow, wow. Those are all the boners. <laughs> um, and so Ben Affleck's like, oh, okay, well, why don't we, uh, why don't we uh, go out to the bar together after the con? So they all go out. Mighty, mighty boss tones music is playing. <laughs> they're, argu- they're arguing about uh, Riverdale, which I love. Oh, you mean Archie? Yes, the Archie <laughs> comics. Yeah, way ahead of its time. Jason Lee and Hooper X are getting into an argument over whether or not Archie and Jughead were gay with each other. 
Hooper X is contending that there was gay subtext all through the Archie comics, which I think if you watch Riverdale now, I think history has proven him correct. Yeah, I don't think Archie and Jughead ever make out, but I think they they share partners often. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's that. That's uh, Wednesday nights on the CW, folks. <laughs> I want to first say that... Yeah. The women women in Kevin Smith movies tend to be interesting. They're like they're generally <laughs> cool girls, you know. Uh, they they're very smart and they are very savvy and they're very good at whatever they do. I appreciate that. Um, but I do want to point out in this particular movie, this is I'm gonna say one of the first. There are some like '60s movies where we see women who are like this, like very sexually empowered very strong uh, but i feel like this is one of the first cool girl tropes that's like full-on cool girl trope so i'm gonna go yeah. into what that means just for yes. people who give a shit um it is a little sad uh, there is a video from the channel the take on youtube it's called the cool girl trope explained i think it's fascinating because they talk about cool girls both in movies and tv and actresses who put on that front. Namely, Jennifer Lawrence is one of those. But uh, to define what a cool girl is, and Tony, you tell me if Alyssa falls into this category. <clears throat> it is a cool girl is one of the guys. She's the direct mirror of the male protagonist's likes and dislikes within the world. She's fun, raunchy, profane, and effortlessly hot. The most important aspect of a cool girl is that she's not like other girls. She also will almost always have no arc outside of what happens with her love interest. Yeah, so I think Alyssa definitely fits this because Alyssa is, if you watched Clerks and you're like, oh, I love these two guys, um, they're into nerdy stuff like me and they swear a lot. What if there was a, a person exactly like that, but it was a hot lady? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I There is a list... Um, okay, so for TV, that's uh, Robin on How, to, How I Met Your Mother, Donna mm. on That 70s Show. Uh, as far as movies go, obviously Megan Fox and Transformers because she knows about cars, but she's also really hot. Uh, Sloan from Ferris Bueller, that's up back in the 80s. So it has existed. Uh, then, of course, you know, Sarah Marshall from Forgetting Sarah Marshall is an example of the opposite of a cool girl and is generally more of an antagonist. Because this particular movie doesn't have any other female characters that are significant, we don't have the other trope of the girly girl to compare her to. Yeah, there's there's really just three characters in this film and then a couple other ancillary uh, folks. Right. But it's... Yeah. So in a sense, it's, it's it's good that Kevin Smith decided to make this cool girl character and not compare her to the other girls that she's not like. I think that was somewhat admirable because it's a very easy thing to do just to, you know, justify. Like, let's say Ben Affleck had an ex-girlfriend who was like really girly and really annoying and she kept coming back and mm -hmm. then it would serve as a comparison. This one, I think it was great to see the cool girl trope kind of delved into in a not a respectful way because that's not what i'm saying <laughs> definitely not yeah like it, part of me's like maybe maybe it would have helped if we had one more female character in this movie yeah but it, it it's good 
because we get to see what it would look like if that is the only character that exists. Uh, obviously, Megan Fox's character in Transformers, in Transformers is the only other one that I can think of. Uh, but, you know, she is like a hero. In this particular movie, Alyssa is not. So there's a no. lot going on in this. I, I am fascinated by the trope. I want to watch every single movie where there's a cool girl and then I want to read Gone Girl. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to say, I, I was like, they talk about this in Gone Girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, which I have not read the book, but I saw the movie. I watched the movie while my wife was out of town on a business trip and I had to like text my wife to be like, do you still love me? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's, uh, I am fascinated by Which also stars Ben Affleck, by the way. Oh my God. God, I, I'm fascinated by the trope in general as far as, like, looking at this movie through that lens. It's the things that Alyssa does with Holden, which, by the way, the name Holden? Come on. Uh, the things that she does, it's like, she is definitely, like, a guy in a beautiful girl's body. Yes. Which makes me think Ben Affleck could just fucking be happy with a guy. <laughs> Well, could they have pushed we'll, the queer we'll, boundaries we'll get, even further? We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. We'll get to that. That's kind in of a my my takeaway from this whole movie. I think Ben Affleck could have been much happier with a man. The end. <laughs> yeah. You might be right, um, but in, in any event, there there's like you know, so when they're hanging out at the bar, there's a couple like. Um, there's one reference to clerks. Um, he's like, oh, you grew up in Jersey? Do you know the quick stop? She's like, my best friend fucked a dead guy in the bathroom. Um, which is what happens in clerks. Yeah, and then she got <laughs> institutionalized, which made me really sad. Yeah. It was the, the epilogue I didn't know I needed. <laughs> they go to the club again, like, an, another night. He's like, hey, you want to hang out again? And then he, he finds her, the whole gang's there, and Hooper's like, look, there's something you should know about Alyssa. Um, He's like, she doesn't have a boyfriend, does does she? And he's like, no. Well, no, no. In in the tone of voice indicating that he's about to say but and then something really important. Yeah, and then they make her sing a song. And I fast forwarded through it because I couldn't deal with it. It's a long scene. I couldn't deal with it. I, just, I have, as an adult, I've realized that I have the power to fast forward through things that make me feel uncomfortable. And that is what I've done. It is, it was the longest woman singing a song in a club scene until at least Shame came out in 2011. (laughs) It was bad, but you know, there was longing glances at what you think is Ben Affleck. It's not. It's not. It's the gay woman next to him. Hell yeah. And then Um, they make out afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, she the, she finishes the song, woman runs out of the crowd up to Alyssa, and they make out, which is not shown in the trailer to the film. It shows the woman running up to her and just Ben Affleck's reaction. Right, right, right. Uh, so this is where Ben Affleck and his tiny teeth start really working, and <laughs> his reactions to her being into someone other than him and it being a woman it's it's a mixture shatters him it's just a mixture between depression disgust which he's trying to hide desperately and shame deep 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 shame and embarrassment i loved it i thought i thought he did an excellent job and only then was banky cool with Alyssa. 
Yes, that's exactly right. He so so Jason Lee's character Banky is is so pissed off that Ben Affleck is like ignoring their work together um, to just hit on this woman, and then he learns that Alyssa's gay. Is like, oh, this is hilarious now. He's like, I love you. Let's share sex stories. And then there's yes. so many sex stories, and and it's just so Kevin Smithy. It's extremely Kevin Smithy. It's a parody of the battle scar scene from Jaws, um, where um, the men are, are pointing out the scars that they got. Um, only it's Jason Lee and Joey Lauren Adams pointing out different injuries they've gotten when they were uh, going down on different women in their past. Nice. Yeah, that's... <laughs> nice. Different kind of Jaws. <laughs> Um, and in a sense, in a sense, this movie flirts with being ahead of its time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would have, I'm not surprised that this wasn't also rated NC-17 for dialogue in general. Yeah. But I guess it was, I know, I mean, three years is quite a difference. Yeah, but like, this movie's kind of ahead of its time because the arc for the next, you know, almost hour of the film is Ben Affleck learning not to be disgusted by gay people and learning to accept and love them as they are. And then the movie definitely throws it all away. Yeah, because um, we'll get into it. But we'll I get, get but then I go really mad. <laughs> um, but, but you know, Alyssa tells Ben Affleck in this scene when he, you know, finds out she's gay, she's like, look, I want you to feel comfortable with me because I would really like us to be friends. And, you know, know, on the one hand, maybe Ben Affleck feels like he's being friend-zoned or whatever. But on the other hand, if this was a movie about them being friends and and him learning to be a better, more accepting human being, then great. Yeah, I would have have loved to have kept on that trajectory. (laughs) That would have been great for me. Yeah. There's a moment later in the film when he is... Talking to Jason Lee, who definitely, out of the 17 homophobic slurs in this film, delivers probably 16 of them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Says, you know, try not to gay bash her. Don't call her A. And then he says a slur. And he's like, she's a lesbian. I know you're not really prejudiced at heart. I just think you should find another way to express your anger. Um, And that's, you know, that's an interesting window into their relationship. And this could be a good movie. Um, is this going to be like the rest of uh, this pot where we're like, oh yeah, and then this could have been a good movie. This could have been a good movie. <laughs> there's another, so there's like, I just want to, he, he's just, at this part of the film, he is insanely bad at processing that lesbians exist. Right. And he becomes better at that. Right. Like, if that was the only thing that happened, there's a movie there. Absolutely. And there was an interesting conversation that they had on the swing set. Uh, in, yes, in their, the swing set. Yeah, on the, in their neighborhood where... He was saying that a woman is still a virgin if she doesn't have sex with a man. So she, if she only has slept with women, then she's technically still a virgin. And Alyssa totally shoots it down. They have a really great conversation about that. But it was also uh, explicit enough where I was just like, girls don't talk like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, cool girls do. Cool she's girls not like do, other though, girls. right? She's not like other girls. You're right. But, you know, the the story leans on being unbelievable and believable 
Like, it, it really walks a fine line. And for the most part, I found it believable until any time Alyssa spoke. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 when he says, like, no, no, it's, it's, it, it's when she sleeps with a man. That's the standard. And she says, again, with your standards. Like, right. that's, that's. Again, that's that's a message that this movie could have. We we we're standing Kevin Smith right now. We're trying really hard to like this movie. <laughs> Kevin Smith has you on the hook there for like a full hour. You're like, this is great, and it's it, and it holds up, and then it does not hold no. up. Um, he does ask her whether she slept with a man, and she kind of dodges that question. Yeah, skillfully. There is uh, one other thing I want to call out kind of around the same time in the film, uh, which is when he and Jason Lee are at the train station going to another con in New York. Um, There's one line where Ben Affleck says, if we miss this train, I'm going to shit can your ass and hire Charles Schultz, (laughs) uh, which is kind of funny. But also Jason Lee brought like 30 different porn magazines (laughs) with him for a a two-day trip. That made me laugh because he needs variety. Yeah, he's like, look, I don't know what I'm going to be in the mood for. Uh, and then he shows bestiality porn to a child in the train station. Just terrible. <laughs> I really didn't like Banky's character for a lot of reasons. Well, and Banky's character is a huge homophobe in the film, right? Right, um, but for good reason. <clears throat> yeah, for, for good reason. Foreshadowing. Hey, Foreshadowing. But um, he, th- this is kind of a major plot point in the film, is he and, and Holden keep butting heads. It's like... You got to stop spending all your time with Alyssa. You're in love with her. And that's like, you can't be because she's not going to love you back. Um, and it's like, everything's got to be a fucking challenge with you. And then he does this exercise <laughs> um, to demonstrate to Ben Affleck how misguided he is. He draws a four-way intersection. Uh, and this is the first recorded instance of intersectionality. <laughs> I hate you. This is where it comes from. Draws an intersection. Four-way intersection. There's a crisp $100 bill at the center. One person at each end of the intersection. There is a hot, really cool lesbian woman who gets along with guys great. There is a man-hating butch lesbian. There is a there's a Santa Claus, and there's an Easter bunny. Which one gets to a $100 bill first? Um, and... <laughs> And Jason Lee's point is the uh, the angry Bush lesbian does because the other three are figments of your fucking imagination. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't I don't know if I would generalize that much, but I would say a hot, cool Alyssa character who also gets along great with everyone and is everything Ben Affleck could have ever possibly wanted in a woman um, does seem a little far fetched. It does. Also, I am deeply entrenched in the queer community and nobody likes to hang out with straight white guys (laughs) so i mean at least in la i don't know about anywhere else but we're not like hey guys do you think we should go and hang out at you know supreme (laughs) no what if we hung out with straight white guys no i don't think so no no no, 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 stay with me what if they were into comics (laughs) everyone would still be like no 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 so I, I, on the one hand, that made me laugh knowing what I know now in 2020, where I'm like, <laughs> he's right, though. But I'm sure at that time, that was a lot. <laughs> that was very offensive. Yeah. Um, so should we talk about the rainstorm? Okay. So 
they go to this diner, right? And they have their their meal and just the two of them. Just the two just of the them. Two. And Alyssa haggles and gets a piece of art from the diner. I don't understand why that's important, but there it was important. There are parts of this film, including the title, including the painting, that I think Kevin Smith, like, had a dream. Yeah. And then he was like, I should just write this into the film that I'm already working on separately. He's like, symbolism, but I'm never gonna explain it. Yeah. So she, she gives, she wants to give Holden this piece of art so that he'll always remember her. And he goes into this really long, somewhat beautiful speech, he and his teeth, the tiny, tiny teeth, perform the living hell out of it. And yeah. he's now like, he st- he starts by saying I love you, and then there's a huge <laughs> bolt of lightning and thunderclap. Yeah, I don't know if you caught that. It's a little bit of subtle symbolism. I loved it. I loved it. But you know, he goes into this whole thing about how much he loves her and what she means to him, and says I don't I don't need a work of art to remind me of that. And then we never talk about the art again. Never comes up again. <laughs> he says. Um, I, that's interesting because I wrote down, God, this speech is bad. It's so bad. It's so overwritten. And then I wrote a, a line from the speech. I know this will probably queer our friendship. No pun intended. <laughs> Nobody says that. Uh, that. This is where the movie derails for me because, you know, Alyssa gets really upset. Granted, I would understand. You know, Yeah, uh, understandably mad. And she's like, that was such a selfish thing you did. You had no right to do that. It is a selfish thing. And I think he was being very egotistical also, just thinking like, she probably loves me back. Uh, Just making that assumption. But also it pisses me off as the viewer because um, I firmly believe that women and men can be just friends. And there are a lot of men, especially, who don't believe that that's the case. So all of a sudden, this question of can women and men just be friends is brought up in the movie, but immediately shot down. because And answered with a no. Answered with a huge no because Alyssa just decides she's not gay anymore and runs back to him and smooches and him. smooches him in the worst kiss that I have ever seen on screen in my entire life. And folks, we're off the rails at this point. This is where the movie takes a dark turn. (laughs) So now we enter the second half of Chasing Amy, which is significantly different from the first half of Chasing Amy. I was on board with everyone pretty much up until this point. I was like, okay, I, I see where you're coming from. I see where this is going. And then I'm just like, why does this exist? It's really sad because... Again, it disproves the point of, like, men and women can just be friends because Alyssa actually does have feelings for Holden, and she just really wasn't acknowledging it or admitting it even to herself because she identifies as a lesbian, but only to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a lot of internalized biphobia in Alyssa who seemingly is, like, bi, pan, fluid in some way, but mm-hmm. is identifying as lesbian, as a lesbian in the community. And there is a scene where she gets to talk to her other lesbian friends and she plays the pronoun game. She talks Plays about, the pronoun game. She's, pl- she's being very, uh, she skirts around who she's dating, saying they, they, them, which is great. And they all clock it. They're like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> Immediately, Immediately catch it. Immediately catch it. <laughs> and, and then 
This is where I also think Kevin Smith didn't talk to any women at all <laughs> when writing this movie. Because as soon as Alyssa admits that it's a dude, they all basically shun her. She's fucking out of the lesbian That club. is not how friendship works, but okay. <laughs> For the sake of the movie, that's fine. That's totally great. But I wish that he had been like, hey, I'm going to go talk to a group of lesbians and ask them what they would feel about it. Uh, I know personally that I have a friend who I used to identify as a lesbian, but then started dating a man and then identified as bisexual and nobody batted an eye. <laughs> but we are in 2020. I have to remember. 1997, even the lesbians were a little behind in the times. <laughs> you have to remember the... Um premier lesbian of 1997 was ellen degeneres who we now know is like generally kind of a shitty person <laughs> yeah i don't know how if ellen had been in that group what do you think she would have just started dancing she would have started dancing and she would have been like we should call my friend george w bush <laughs> at the time i think he was still governor of texas oh but... <laughs> that's worse oh god well i mean her whole friendship group falls apart you know, she makes uh, allusions to other people in her life kind of shunning her now that she's dating a man. But we never see it because she's not that three-dimensional of a character. She, right. She... We don't. We spend very little time with Alyssa when Holden is not also in the scene. Right, right? exactly. I'll, this might this might be the only scene where that happens. Correct. This is the first time we shift points of view to Alyssa. And that's where I feel, honestly, I felt a little glimmer of hope. I was thinking, oh, okay, so now we get to see what her life is like now. We've already seen what Holden's life is like. Let's see a little of hers, how her life is going to change based on having this new kind of relationship. Okay, this is how it affects her friends. Now, what about everything else? Like, and then we just curve it right back <laughs> to Holden. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen, like, how does her work change? You know, her comics. How Like, do mm. her characters change in any kind of way? You know, uh, what does her family think? Like, is she even close with her family? I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of and questions. And we never will. And we, we never, never will. will. I think maybe there might be some Chasing Amy fanfic, in which case, if you guys know about it, let me know. Yeah, just send it our way, please. Um, if it's from Archive of Our Own, even better, because I have an account. <laughs> um, so, the conflict of the second half of the film, though, is not... It, like you said, it's not that Alyssa has to kind of come to terms with her redefining her own sexuality mm -mm. um it is that ben affleck uh holden and banky learn about her sexual history Boo! Um, which uh is just makes for a bonker second half of the film so basically um i can't uh, wait to Bank have you explain this <laughs> yeah so my little catholic friend we're going to try this, and uh, Nadia's just going to laugh really loud throughout the whole thing. Uh, Jason Lee uh, finds a friend of Alyssa's from high school. Um, he notes in Alyssa's high school yearbook. I don't know why he's stalking her to this extent, but, like, he finds Alyssa's high school He's yearbook. a shitty, he notes, shitty friend is why. He notes that her nickname in high school, as indicated in the yearbook, was Finger Cuffs. Why um, is that okay in the yearbook also, by the way? <laughs> Were there no adults on the yearbook committee? My we my wife and I were just talking today about the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards and how 
Cherry Pop and Daddies performed there once. Um, they played Zoot Suit Riot, and they bleeped out the word beer in Zoot Suit Riot, but they still introduced the band as Cherry Pop and Daddies. Oh, well, I mean, you can kind of explain your way out of that as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so so she had the nickname Finger Cuffs. Uh, Jason Lee tracked down a friend of Alyssa's from high school to explain it, which is that when Alyssa was in high school... Um, she basically fucked two guys at the same time, two of her classmates at the same time. Um, and that just, Ben Affleck had so much trouble in the first half of the film processing that a lesbian existed. <laughs> yeah. Now that, and imagine, a girl didn't want to fuck him also. Yeah. Now imagine how hard it is for him to understand that, that this woman who he knows was gay but now is sleeping with him, was at some point in her previous life not gay and was, in fact, more sexually um, uh, uh, experienced than he was comfortable with uh, in his partner. Right. I thought at first, with the way that he explained it, that he was upset because he was not the first man that she had been with. Well, I think that's part of it, too, though. But, yeah, but then it went into, well, isn't it, a sordid past that is more important. Right. But I um, hate that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's actually it's extremely toxic and bad. It's so bad. Um but um what makes it all better is again this very subtle symbolism where he asks her about it while they're watching a hockey game. So so subtle. <laughs> it's you know they're sitting at the hockey game and he's like asking her questions about like it's like he's trying to like get at it obliquely but his character is kind of dumb and also ben affleck kind of looks dumb so and his he's teeth just, like, are just not helping <laughs> so he's just like so are you like uh you ever uh fuck two guys at the same time <laughs> or something like that basically and basically at the point where she like catches on gets fed up and admits it angrily to him a fight breaks out at the hockey game that's symbolic mm-hmm. now i don't know if you caught that nadia but it, it it's an allegory to their own relationship no it wasn't heavy-handed at all fight. it was not heavy-handed at all i was like whoa well what about the dialogue though i feel like it's really good really understated when she's like you didn't have to go play hercule fucking poirot Ugh. the 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 scene after Okay, so this is where the budget of $250,000 is really showing. Start, starts to show when itself. Yeah, when you're at the hockey game and they're just basically in front of a white wall <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of people are seated around them. With, with 30 extras, yeah. Who are all obviously listening to the conversation, even though they were supposed to be acting like they were watching the hockey game. But uh, afterward, they storm out of the hockey game and it's pouring down rain. Is it raining? No, oh. it's not raining. It's not raining in this scene. <laughs> I feel like the energy of the rain scene carried over. But then Alyssa just completely destroys her voice. <laughs> Doesn't use her diaphragm. Overacts. I don't understand how she was nominated for anything for this particular This was role. like her breakout role. I don't understand it. I think, I mean, I don't want to be an asshole, but like, that wasn't good. <laughs> I, well, no, I think this monologue is terrible, but... The monologue um, itself was terrible. The delivery was just like, ugh, this was painful. It was, honestly, yeah, it, it was painful. Very overacted. I, I think, on it, like, uh, look, I got nothing against Joey Lauren Adams. If we She's met each other, great. we'd probably get along. Yeah. But, 
but the why would you meet her like is she around i don't i don't fuck i love i would tell her i loved her in big daddy yeah there you go yeah yeah um but like the it's possible that this was her breakout role because people watching it were like wait she's playing a gay woman but she's not gay oh yes incredible i call that the jared leto factor yes exactly (laughs) oh god yeah i mean this this scene the scene is interesting because she calls out the double standard of it yes but she's saying like what she is trying to say the right things right she doesn't say them in the right way so i'm not paying attention to what's actually being said so i feel like if kevin smith had been like a little better of a director he could have been like all right let's let's tone it down you know let's find some <laughs> levels let's find a time where you now you can start screaming but like start quietly you know whatever i i could i have some notes but i i did miss the overall message of it so i had to watch it twice and when I was suffering through it the second time, I finally understood what was being said, which was it was shitty. Oh shit! It was shitty of Holden to do that, a yes. to go into her past and not to ask her about it in a more forthright manner, in a more private setting, and also that it doesn't really matter. Yes, exactly. Because as I personally think, a person is the sum of all of their experiences, but in as a woman, and I know I have asked a few of my friends in preparation for this episode, have you ever dated someone who was uncomfortable with any of your sexual past? And all of them, and I asked four people, said yes. It is something that, like, generally a lot of men don't want to know about uh, or learn about it and get upset. This is just a small focus group of my friends. <laughs> yeah, but I... I... I don't think they're the only four people. Yeah. That said that. Yeah. So it's unfortunate because, um, first of all, if they are straight or they have a heterosexual encounter, what about the men? Does mm-hmm. that make them slutty? Probably not. It makes them heroes. But for a woman to be sexually experimental, it's a problem. Yeah. And Holden and- is so insecure that he can't handle it cannot handle it. And she says, good or bad, they are my choices, and I am not making apologies for them now. Which is, I think, the right thing to say, but it is screamed through her, at this point, very fried voice. Yeah, and I think because of that, I th- I think the message is lost and we no longer root for Alyssa when it's not her fault. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, she's, she's done nothing wrong at any point yeah. um, in the film except kiss Ben Affleck, which is, like, wrong in, in in my head but not in the universe <laughs> ew she got to feel his tiny teeth <laughs> ah! no, but the thing is is again with the per- if there was a shift in point of view at that moment when she was talking to her lesbian friends and the rest of the movie was about her point of view and having this conversation happen this reaction and then we get to see where she goes with it it would have been a much more satisfying uh arc to the story mm-hmm. but instead it was just about how ben affleck was bummed out that she was sleeping with multiple people at the same time at some point in her life and yeah. i think it was it was definitely a missed opportunity to you know prove the point of yeah she is a cool girl but she also is a person did it did they didn't do that <laughs> No, not at all. No, they're like, let's concentrate on how shitty this makes Ben Affleck and his teeth feel. It's so shitty that he has to call up his two old friends 
uh, Jay and Silent Bob. My boys! Who, honestly... Thank God. How can you not love them? How can you not love the them? They're the best. They're the best. It's like, and it's funny because, like, Jay as a human being is so repulsive, and yet you can't help, you can't help but love him. He has redeeming qualities. That's something that I feel like Holden doesn't have in this movie. <laughs> Banky has redeeming qualities, but he Holden does, does as not. As we learn, yeah. Holden does not, and I'm very fascinated. I think you're supposed to just think he's hot because he's Ben Affleck and he has a goatee. And Ben Affleck in 97, too, like, peak of his um hotness and buzz like right after goodwill hunting right like all of that he's got good hair he's yeah. tall but like that's not enough for a redeeming quality here <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry my sister <laughs> um so yeah so so ben affleck meets up with jay and silent bob at a diner just kind of talk about uh his girl problems there is towards the end of the scene you see if you look at the in the background jay is just pouring sugar out of the sugar dispenser into a spoon and eating it yeah yeah they didn't (laughs) they didn't think like let's get him some coffee (laughs) which is hilarious well it's okay kevin smith was acting he couldn't direct okay (laughs) exactly (laughs) you get you either get kevin smith acting as silent bob or you get him directing you don't get both no the camera (laughs) the camera doesn't move while silent bob is in the scene it cannot happen uh at this point is uh silent bob wearing a wig or does kevin smith have long hair i think he has long hair okay at what point does he wear that hat with the hair attached to it uh that's a good question probably uh, clerks two maybe may clerks it might be jay and silent bob strike back okay as well okay i just like to Um, know about these things we got to follow the trajectory of kevin smith's wig folks we'll research that we'll post it separately um so (laughs) Uh, basically, Holden explains the whole situation to them, and um, Jay kind of reacts how Jay does. I'm having girl problems. Uh, pressing charges, huh? I get that a lot. <laughs> uh, but basically, and, he's like, fuck it. Like, go find another girl. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, just go find someone else. And then Bob, Kevin Smith, um, gives this very long monologue. <laughs> another page and a half another there there's a lot i mean it i mean it's kevin smith everybody's monologuing but um and he says holden you're chasing amy <laughs> and then i went ah <laughs> and it was like that's the title of the movie and it's interesting because there's no character in the movie named amy <laughs> and this is the uh only time amy is mentioned but bob basically gives a monologue in which he says exactly the same thing happened to me I did exactly the same thing you did, and it was the wrong thing to do. And now I'm stuck with Jay. And now I'm stuck hanging out with Jay. And ever, he said, ever since then, I've been chasing Amy, so to speak. And everybody looks at the camera, because that's what you do when you say the title of the film is a line of dialogue. <laughs> oh, God. I, I understand that silent bob usually is the voice of reason he is essentially if we're talking like a greek tragedy he is the chorus yes unfortunately the chorus only showed up for like four to five minutes at the end of the movie (laughs) and and again and the less the lesson that he has to impart is like oh yeah you did the wrong thing Mm -hmm. and so i mean like he and basically what he's saying is like you shouldn't care about your partner's sexual history because she loves you now 
Exactly. And that's what matters. Exactly. Which is fine. Yeah. Which is fine. And that's what she expressed also in her screaming monologue where it's like it doesn't really matter what I did before. I'm choosing you. I changed and uprooted my yes. entire lifestyle and my friends have shunned me. I don't have any other backstory so I can't give more examples but I chose you and that wasn't enough. So then in my head I was like he doesn't deserve her. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to the kind of the climax of the film, the confrontation. Oh, uh, also as a side note, Jay and Silent Bob get up and they're like, we gotta go catch a, catch a bus to Chi-Town, which is setting them up for where they'll be at the beginning of Kevin Smith's next film, which is Dogma. Ah, okay, okay. Um, which is I see you, mo- Kevin Smith. Which is a movie that I think I enjoyed when I saw it, but in retrospect makes zero sense. I never saw it. I, I heard it was violent, so I didn't see it. It is, it is pretty violent, but um, it's real fucking weird. I'm Anyways. A, I'm a baby. I don't like blood. <laughs> I'm a baby. Get, so Holden gets Banky and Alyssa in a room together. These are the two people that he's hurt the most. They are the only two Ever. people in Ever. the movie. <laughs> yeah. There, there's not a lot of characters in this movie. Right. Um, and, and Nadia, what is his proposition? So he's like, all right. Banky, you're upset because I'm not spending enough time with you. I'm not putting in the work. By the way, they were uh, offered a cartoon of their comic book, which... Yes, a TV adaptation, yes. Right, which is not super touched upon a lot of times. No, and that's uh, Matt Damon was the TV exec. And the guy from Clerks. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so they... He's like, okay, I'm really sorry, um... And, and he says, I'm sorry to Alyssa. I, I realize that I am insecure and I, I don't have as uh, crazy of a history as you do when it comes to my sexual past. So the easiest way. The only solution. The only solution. And Banky, I also think that you are a closeted homosexual. That you're, yeah, that you're gay for me because you're homophobic and you're jealous of me for spending time with Alyssa. Right. So all of these... With all these powers combined, <laughs> we need to all have sex together. With each other. Right. At the same time. Mm-hmm. And then Banky's like, okay. <laughs> Which surprised me. He, he like grits his teeth. He's like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And then, then he turns to Alyssa and Alyssa's like, I can't. And Banky says, oh, thank Christ. <laughs> Which is honestly an extremely funny line. I loved it. I, the, the, the shitty part again, though, is we go into more detail of why Alyssa is the cool girl. Because she already thought of all the different scenarios that could go wrong in this situation. If she hooks up with both of them, what if she connects with Banky and then they fall in love? Or what if he never sees her the same way again, Holden? Uh, what if they, Holden and Banky, like each other? Like, there are too many odd scenarios that could happen. And then yeah. she slaps him in the face and says, I'm also not your whore. <laughs> Probably could have cut that. Ah, I understand that could have just been the whole. She didn't need another monologue. Yeah. So I just want to do a little thought experiment here. Okay. Imagine if Ben Affleck makes this proposition. Imagine. Then, imagine. Okay. Well, let's just all be nice. Here. <laughs> do it again. Do it Ima- again. Imagine. <gasps> ima- imagine if Ben Affleck <laughs> makes this proposition and then they do 
have a threesome with each other. Okay. And then it all just totally works out. Does this become the worst movie ever made? <laughs> uh... No, because then it would have been ahead of its time in representing polyamory. Because yeah, that's true. Only that's if true. all three of them end up together. If it doesn't happen, okay, let's say they do hook up and it fixes Alyssa and Holden's relationship and it frees Banky from his homophobic mindset. And then he hooks up with the, who's that, who's that guy, what's that guy's name? The other comic uh, book Hooper, guy? Hooper X. Okay, so let's say then Banky hooks up with Hooper X and then they fall in love. That could work. I wouldn't there, mind. There's something there. I wouldn't mind that. It would still, I would still be pissed that Alyssa didn't get more of a story, but I love a happy ending. <laughs> but that's not what happened. It's not what happens. They just kind of all three of them drift apart. Hmm. And we just flash forward to a con a year later where all three of them are working separately. Right. So um, sad. And they all like see each other and they all like kind of do like, hey, how's it going? And it, like, no, okay. Tony, let's be real. <laughs> Jason Lee and Ben Affleck share the longest stare. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They don't say a word. They just, they, they gaze at each other. Yeah. And Jason they Lee do... is obviously like still in love. Yeah. They just kind of like nod at each other like, hey, respect. Sorry then, about that time I asked you to have sex with me and another woman. <laughs> and then it cuts to Banky, and then it cuts to Holden. And then it cuts to Banky, and then it cuts to Holden. And then do it cuts to Banky. <laughs> just nonstop. It just didn't stop. Do you stop. remember the scene at the end of American Pie uh, where they're all partying after prom and the four of them are all at different corners of the room and they all look at each other and kind of like hold up their drinks at each other in sequence. Yeah. Because American Pie is 85 minutes long and they needed to pad out time. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. It kind of feels like that. It was just like that. But then we go over to Alyssa's little area at the con where she's signing things. And uh, she's with a friend or maybe a girlfriend. We don't know because she doesn't have three dimensions <laughs> uh and her friend is like i'm gonna go get a drink and that's when holden walks up to her and hands her a comic book called chasing amy which again is about his relationship with Alyssa, in which her character is named Alyssa in the book so there's no <laughs> character named amy even in the fake book <laughs> chasing amy in the movie chasing amy <laughs> It's so weird. I, I get that. I, I get it. that chasing Amy is like, like is um, like a pleasant sounding name for a film. Like you yeah. have the assonance bet between um, the A sounds in chasing an Amy. I get that. You could have named Joey Lawrence's character jo <laughs> Joey, Joey Lawrence Adams' character. Um, hey, oh. You could have. Let me take that again. You could have named Joey Lawrence Adams' character Amy. Right. Could have solved the whole thing. Could have. Do you think is wait is Kevin Smith's wife named Amy? Uh, the woman with the taint. I don't know. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, maybe he was dating someone named Amy at some point, and this was his like ode to her. That I mean that would make perfect sense to me. But he never explained <laughs> it, obviously. So. Right. 
Yeah, but uh, anyway, the she flips to the last page, and it's just the last panel says, I'm sorry, Alyssa, which makes me laugh, because if I was reading the comic book, and, like, there was a whole adventure, and then at the end it was like, sorry, Alyssa, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Does this have to do with anything? <laughs> I wish you'd read it. Do you think that they made, like, you know, w- with modern day... Uh, marketing, they'd be like, okay, we're also selling the comic book. Ke- like, Kevin Smith has written comics for DC before. Right. Um, but did he like, write these comics? Because that would have been Oh, cool. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I really hope so. Um, we will also dig into that. I think we're more likely to find fic of this film. Yeah, probably. Uh, but yeah, and that's Chasing Amy. Yeah, um, it was so fine. Like we said, <laughs> it's two hours long. First hour pretty good very very good i think yeah uh if you like kevin smith's style yeah um which is very specific and not for everyone second half really tough to yeah. get through <laughs> yeah um, i really but, i really think that there was a missed opportunity of not following Alyssa's trajectory of you know i i'm questioning my sexuality even more even though i yeah. spent most of my life questioning it and deciding to go one way and now I'm going this other way, and how does that change my life? But, of course, it's a Kevin Smith movie, so we have to follow the white guy. <laughs> so we have to follow the white guy and talk about Star Wars. Uh. So, normally this is the point in the podcast where I would read some reviews of the film, but instead of that, I'm going to read from two separate uh, feminist academic studies. Yay! I'm so talking. glad that you, a white man, is doing this part. <laughs> uh, talking about um, the film and uh, what it depicts of female sexuality. Okay. Um, so, uh, first one is from 2009 by a University of Utah professor named Lisa M. Diamond. Uh, her book, Sexual Fluidity, Understanding Women's Love and Desire. This was a fun stretch of research for me to do. Good for you, dude. I'm proud of you. The thesis of this study, um, by Diamond is that one of the fundamental defining features of female sexual orientation is its fluidity. Um, and in fact... Uh, what Diamond says is, hey, there are assumptions that an individual's sexual predisposition for same sex or other sex is an early developing and stable trait that has a consistent effect on that person's attractions, fantasies, and romantic feelings over their lifespan. What few people realize, however, is that these assumptions are based primarily on men's experiences because most research on sexual orientation has been conducted on men. Gross. So the <laughs> the point, and Diamond doesn't go into a lot of detail on Chasing Amy, but she holds it up as just one example in pop culture. She's like, hey, here's an example of a female character who is gay at one point in the film and then becomes involved with a man. Um, and it, that conflicts with prevailing assumptions about sexual orientation, but it turns out that women's sexual orientation tends to be more fluid than men's, um, you know, by and large. But it's not really a lot about the film. It kind of just goes into more about um, studies on female sexuality. Uh, For a study that goes into a lot more detail on the film and perhaps does not have a very positive view of the film, Mm -hmm. uh, we have to go back to 2002, uh, a book by Judith Keegan Gardner uh, Gardner, uh, titled Masculinity Studies and Feminist Theory, New Directions. Um, Again, got a weird search history now, but... This uh, book 
spends a, a little bit of time on chasing Amy as an, calling it an example of a heterosexual conversion fantasy right the idea that okay well i'm a straight guy and there's this woman who's super cool and also hot but she's gay but i'm such a cool guy that she'll stop being gay for me uh which is what happens in the film right um uh so in chasing amy an avowedly bisexual woman whom we would never recognize as queer outside the film's narrative frame receives the attention of a very obnoxious straight male And at first, she articulates all the right sentiments about his arrogance and her sexual preferences, but she then succumbs quickly and completely to his embrace. Our heroine is rarely seen interacting with lesbians, but she immediately invites her suitor to meet her at her local lesbian bar and then swaps oral sex stories with him and his buddy afterwards. The woman never challenges the heterosexual suitor at the level of either sexuality or gender because she appears to have been straight all along. He feels good about having converted her. She feels good about being true to herself rather than following blindly the rules of a supposedly dominant and overbearing lesbian community, and her new boyfriend's roommate now gets to play the role of obnoxious and homophobic straight guy. The suitor's roommate indeed plays the very traditional triangulated role of the misogynist who masks his desire for his pal by mouthing the most woman-hating sentiments in relation to his bisexual girlfriend. This same character also articulates the dangerous truth that lies at the heart of the film. Namely, that the heroine's bisexuality is merely a sexual ruse that amplifies her heterosexual attractiveness, and the real lesbianism has much more to do with masculinity. Uh, So basically the idea here being like, oh, and skipping ahead, Chasing Amy, in fact, deliberately refused even to imagine outside of the roommate's homophobic imaginary what lesbian masculinity would look like. Boom. Go off, Judith Keegan Gardner. Yeah, so the idea here being like, this is just a story written by a straight man, which it is, right. um, about what a straight man wishes lesbians could be like, which I think is a very fair critique of the film. Absolutely, and it brought up memories of um, Margaret Atwood's The Robber Bride. There's a, a quote from that book that is very powerful, especially to a lot of women that I've shared it with. They're like, oh, shit. But I'm going to share it with you now so you can kind of get a glimpse into what it's like to be a woman in a male-dominated world. It's, uh, it says, quote, male fantasies, male fantasies. Is everything run by male fantasies up on a pedestal or down on your knees? It's all a male fantasy that you're strong enough to take what they dish out or else too weak to do anything about it. Even pretending you aren't catering to male fantasies is a male fantasy. Pretending you're unseen pretending you have a life of your own, that you can wash your feet and comb your hair, unconscious of the ever-present watcher peering through the keyhole, peering through the keyhole in your own head, if nowhere else. You are a woman with a man inside watching a woman. You are your own voyeur. Damn, end quote. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, so it's this is hard for me in general to... As much as I say I liked the movie, it's also difficult for me to wrap my head around as a woman because it just feels icky without using any kind of, like, strong, smart, intellectual vocabulary, but just icky. (laughs) It it is, again, it is a movie about relationships with queer people. Right. 
written by a straight man who only has like three characters in the film so we don't even get like a, a particularly representative experience right and there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make a ton of sense like why the film is called chasing amy or <laughs> why there's like a painting in it or stuff like that and then also there's just a whole bunch of like the normal kevin smith stuff right which kind of can feel out of place sometimes yeah and the overall message is arguably unclear i think the film could work if the message is that ben affleck's character is a dumbass <laughs> yeah but i'm sure a lot of people at the time were like this is really cutting edge right right i'm sure like i'm sure this film was seen as uh, ahead of its time absolutely like and... uh, having women talking openly about sex it's like whoa sex in the city was around this time so yes. like that in itself was a huge thing where it was like, oh, women who like sex, that's wild. And then this movie came out and not only does this woman like sex, but she's a lesbian or so we think, but not really, but she's going to get converted. I don't, I, I just don't know what the actual point of view or stance is being, that's being taken at all. Yeah. Uh, but I think you know, it, Ben Affleck's in it. <laughs> yeah. I think icky. Icky. good way to sum it up it's icky it's good though uh, it's a good movie it, it 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 has its charm like that's the thing it's, there's a lot of it that works there's a lot of it that works and also it shows you a very good example of that cool girl trope that like is never broken yeah it's pretty wild it's not even the worst film i've watched for the podcast this week <laughs> no it is not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty wild. But I have some common sense media reviews. Yes, yes. I have one from an adult and one from a child. Uh... <laughs> also, if you're a child, don't watch this film. If you're a God child, why are you listening to this podcast? T Tony said fuck a lot of times. <laughs> I say fuck a lot. What I I said uh, I said come a whole bunch. I think I said our first episode. cock in the <laughs> what men want. You, we talked about cum like the first five minutes of the first episode of this season and i forgot yeah. that my mom would listen to this <laughs> i was like oh no um okay so common sense media this is from user brian fowler who is an adult it's a uh, must see movie for adults all caps not for children it is easily one of the best movies of the 90s and one of the greatest romantic comedies ever made but it's a hard R, and it earns it in spades. I have a problem with the phrase hard R, just side note. Yeah, <laughs> like, I understand what he means. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's an R rating, and it's, like, not on the border of a PG-13. But hard R <laughs> okay, Brian is Fowler. also used in other contexts. That makes me laugh. Okay, not a kid's film, but late teens and up should see it. Very strong and powerful message about not judging people on their past, but on who they are anti-homophobic period incredibly well acted with world-class performances by ben affleck jason lee who won a Spir independent spirit award for it and joey yeah. lauren adams who was nominated for a golden globe off a great script writer director kevin smith who also received an indie spirit award for the screenplay a must-see for adults not for children <laughs> i love that this person's like i did research before i wrote this review um okay this is from user Don't Try Talking to Me, age 15. <laughs> I 
good. <laughs> if your kids are watching this movie, they are plenty old enough to not have a lecture about it afterwards. Don't try to pluck messages and morals out of this movie, which really aren't there. Movies are a form of creative entertainment. If you talk to your kids about every single inappropriate detail, they will not be able to grow and mature properly. Though I do believe there should be some limits. Awkward conversations aren't going to teach your children anything. <laughs> That's the review. Thinking about a 15-year-old just opening this with, What is film? <laughs> This kid probably has a lot of conversations with his parents about what's good and what's bad, and he Im- hates it. Imagine how much this kid loved Kevin Smith. Oh, uh. man. He probably loved Clerks. He was like, a, what, what, he was 11 when that came out? Yeah. <laughs> User, don't try talking to me. Thank you for your review. Well, any any final thoughts on the film, Nadia, other than its general ickiness? Um, I thought Jason Lee was great. I think he's... Uh, Jason Lee's good in everything. He, I've never seen My Name is Earl, but this made me want to watch it. Um, I thought Ben Affleck and his tiny teeth did a really great job. I liked a lot of the montages in the film. There are a couple of those, huh? Yeah, there are a few, and I don't mind them. I love a good montage. Um, yeah. But overall, I think the soundtrack was better than the movie. Soundtrack's very good. Um, I think the final image I want to leave everyone with is um, Ben Affleck at one point explains the rules of skee-ball to Alyssa. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of mansplaining in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, which is not a complicated game. No, but she couldn't get it because she's stupid. (laughs) She's a lady. (laughs) Overall, though, I'm glad we watched it. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about my limits. the best thing we can say about a film on this podcast well (laughs) learned about my limits limits. folks thank you so much for listening (laughs) probably should have facebook instagram twitter we'll see you at the next episode bye have you ever been close to tragedy you've been close to folks who have have you ever felt a pain so powerful so heavy you collapse no To knock on wood, but I know someone who has, which makes me wonder if I could. It makes me wonder if I never had to knock on wood, and I'm glad I haven't yet, because I'm sure it isn't good. That's the impression that I get.